Open your Bibles tonight first to the uh, book of Daniel. Get Daniel open chapter 1 and then a couple of other scriptures. I want you to follow along tonight if you will and if you can. Still in the sermon series entitled Forever Young. Just to give you a sense of, of what I'm trying to do here. Going to preach to, for, and about youth for the next little bit. Going to take a, a couple of weeks break and then I'm starting another sermon series entitled Old Time Religion. Guess who that's for? Yeah, you guessed it, yeah. I'm going to do for, for the aging what I'm trying to do now for the, for, for, the, for the youth. At the same time, I really don't like those kinds of distinctions, to be real honest. I really don't like those, especially in church. We are the family of God. And as I've said, one of the problems we face is that when you're young, you really have very little concept of what aging is about, what it means to grow older. It takes a number of decades before it really dawns on you that it's happening to you. Uh, and it's a rather alarming thing when you, when you make that recognition. Uh, it's hard for you to understand age at the same time. Very difficult for many, many of us who are older to remember what it is to be young. And that's part of what this morning's sermon was all about. Scripture says rejoice in your youth. And I was trying to call some of us back to what it was like to be young. Very, very important to remember what it's like. Because we want to have an influence. We want to be what God wants us to be in the lives of our young people. And honestly, uh, in my own life as a youth minister, and now a pastor, I've developed some strong convictions about what kids need from us. And I think the last thing kids need from adults uh, is, is adults who want to be kids. It's the last thing kids need. And often in our lives today, and especially in young people's lives, there are lots of adults who really don't seem to want to grow up. They don't grow up themselves. They never reach maturity. And there's nothing more confusing and bewildering for young people to grow up trying to follow the example of adults who haven't yet learned maturity, especially spiritual maturity in Christ. If they don't see the maturity, then they have nothing to grow toward. You understand that? And there are too many adults who really still want to be kids and, and want to act like kids and dress like kids. And when you are young, there's really nothing more foolish than adults trying to be kids. And you see that a lot in youth ministry. You'll see youth ministers sometimes, and I thank God for Frank. Frank is one of the good ones. But there are youth ministers that you can tell they're trying to relive something. They still want too much to, to be a kid. They try to dress like a kid, and they're just trying way too hard. And it's really kind of clownish, isn't it? It's just really kind of foolish to see old people who are trying to be kids. that They need to grow up, honestly. I think in the church, it is not that the adults need to try to be kids. Or, or, or to try in any way to imitate the kids. That's foolish. What the kids need are adults who know how to let kids be kids. Do you understand the difference? They don't need you to be a kid, but they do need you to be the kind of person who can let kids be kids. It's wonderful to be young, as the scripture reminded us today, and we should recognize what it is uh, to, to be young. One of the important things I want us to talk about tonight, one of the important parts of adolescence especially, is what we call the peer pressure. Uh, peer pressure. I want to first point your attention to two scriptures, not in Daniel. The first is in Proverbs. I have them on the screen for you. Proverbs 13, 20. See if you can help me understand what this verse means. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. They should have put that on the front of your high school yearbook, shouldn't they? Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Very good verse. I encourage you guys, open your Bible, underline that. That's awesome. Proverbs 13, 20. What does it mean? Plain as cornbread. What's it mean? 
You really are going to become, in many ways, like the people you hang out with. If you associate with fools, doofuses, what will you become? A, a royal nuclear doofus. It's just going to happen to you. If you walk with fools, you'll become a fool. Walk with the wise and become wise. The choices you make as a young person, the choices you make as an older person, the choice you make about who you associate with, the people you allow to influence your life, that is a very, very important choice. You're making a choice about the kind of person you become. That's what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33 says this, bad company corrupts good character. What's that mean? Bad company corrupts good character. It's kind of frightening. I think of character as something inward, something positive, something strong. But this verse seems to say that even if there's good character, if we raise our children, if you yourself struggle to have a good character, but you put yourself in bad company, what's that mean? That's not like the factory where you work, not a bad company. What are we talking about? Bad company, not the old rock band, Tommy Newton, not that. What's bad company? Uh, ungodliness? Yeah, the wrong friends, so to speak, the wrong friends, letting the wrong people influence you, that's bad company. And the overall effect of bad company day after day after day is the corruption of your character. I, I find something very frightening about that, very, very sobering. Next slide, two more quotes. First one, quote from a high school freshman, nobody you know, but when he was asked, what is peer pressure? Here's his definition. Peer pressure is having to be what other kids want you to be. Good definition? Is that a good one? Having to be what other kids want you to be. I think I'll take it. I think that's a good definition by a high school freshman. Peer pressure is having to be what other kids want you to be. How about this quote from a 102-year-old woman? She was asked, what's the best thing about being 102 years old? And what did she say? No peer pressure. What's that mean? Yeah, she has no more peers. Yeah, she outlived everybody. She has no more peers. But isn't that interesting that after 102 years, she still thinks like that? It's just a subtle reminder that peer pressure is not just something for young people. Peer pressure is something that we all face and struggle with every day of our lives. And so I want you to look to the book of Daniel tonight. Daniel chapter 1. This is a great, great, great story. Daniel chapter 1. Ty walking in asked me if, if, if this was the same Daniel that was in the lion's den. And yes, it is the same Dan. But at the very same time, this is one of the early parts of his story. If you want to know how Daniel became the man of God he became, it starts right here. Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 3. Read through verse 21. This is good stuff, guys. Everybody really listen up and think about peer pressure. Watch how Daniel takes it on. Oh, what a kid, what a kid. As the story begins, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has conquered, conquered Israel. And he's taken uh, uh, all of the sacred objects from the temple as it's described in the first, first couple of verses. Also taken prisoners. Taken prisoners. And among those that he's taken are the brightest and best of the youth. King Nebuchadnezzar is no fool. He, he goes in and he takes the brightest, the best looking, the smartest. He, he takes this in, incredible, incredible group of 
young people captive. And among those captives are a young man named Daniel. Now, you can't possibly imagine what it would be like to, be, uh, to watch your homeland destroyed, to watch your country conquered by, by an enemy uh, army, and then to watch your parents murdered, your, your houses burned, and then to be yourself taken prisoner. But that's where Daniel's story begins. Verse 3 is where we'll pick up. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Is that going to be good? From his own kitchens? They were to be trained there for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Verse 6. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Stop. They're renaming them. What's that about? Gaining control, renaming them. Some of you uh, my age or, or older, you may remember years ago when the miniseries Roots was on TV. Did, did you watch Roots? Do you remember Roots? Do you remember one of those early nights, one of those opening scenes when Kunta Kinte was taken from his homeland, just like Daniel? He was brought in as a slave, just like Daniel. And one of the first things they had to do was break him. They had to break Kunta Kinte. They had to make him forget everything about home, everything about what he had been taught. They wanted to absolutely strip him of his identity so they could make him who they wanted him to be. And that long, long, agonizing scene when they made him accept his new name. His new name was, do you remember? Toby. And they beat him, and they beat him, and they beat him until he would say, my name is Toby. This is what we're talking about. They take these four, four fine Jewish young men and systematically are trying to strip them of everything they've ever been and remake them. So Daniel was called Belshazzar. Now understand, most of these young men had names that had to do with their God. And they're given a new name that has to do with the Babylonian God, a false God. You've got to understand what this must have been like. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel was, say the word, determined. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods, no, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who's ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. You know how much kids love vegetables. Verse 13, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. 
The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables. Y'all know how, how much kids love vegetables. Fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. That's what you guys want before finals, isn't it, at Western? God gave them this aptitude, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus, not Miley Cyrus, King Cyrus, uh, right there. Uh, amazing scripture. A group of teenage boys and recognized their boys. A group of teenage boys taken out of their homes, taken out of their homeland, and now enrolled in a program that is designed systematically to erase their identity, to make them forget what their parents taught them, to make them to forget the God that they've been raised to worship, to make them totally forget and become Babylonians, to become pagans, to make them become ideal Babylonian pagan citizens. This is the goal. And they take this tremendous number of teenage boys into this program. And what do the overwhelming majority of these teenage boys do in this situation? What happens to most of them? They conform. That's the part of the story that really ought to break your heart. They conform. Most of the boys conform. Most of them just absolutely go with it. I mean, there's incredible pressure. There's incredible pressure on them to conform. Do you see where this message goes? Incredible pressure, and the majority of them absolutely cave in and conform. They just go right with it. As a matter of fact, if you notice... What they're being asked to do actually looks wonderful. I mean, they're prisoners. that They have no home. They have no parents anymore. And now they're brought into the king's castle. They're brought in, and they are fed wonderful food. The only problem with it is that the food they're being offered is food that they've always been taught not to eat. Food associated with pagan gods, with pagan worship. They've always been taught not to eat this. But, but my goodness, they're so far from home. And now they're giving new clothes to wear and, and new names. And for most of these boys, they just absolutely go. There, there's no reference whatsoever that they hesitate. They just go headlong into whatever the world has for them. Only four go the other way. Only four refuse to conform. That's an amazing story. Those are amazing four boys. First, let's talk about the majority. Why do you think they cave in? Why do you think the other boys, whatever number of them there were, why was it for them so easy simply to give up and, and give in and follow the world? Why? What would you say? It's pressure. We call it pressure. Often 
peer pressure. And the fact of the matter is to be in that group of boys and just to look around and see what all the other boys do because that's what most people do. That's how most people live their lives. They get their cues from other people. I was sitting in a restaurant, uh, Wendy's restaurant. I think it was Wendy's in Franklin because that place always goes kind of crazy. Wendy's in Franklin is is, kind of bizarre. And I was sitting there one day and the alarm goes off. You ever been in that situation? The alarm just goes off. It's like a fire alarm. What do you do when a fire alarm goes off? The Bob Skipper, the Woodburn fire chief, would tell you, stop, drop, and roll out of there. You know, bust it, get out of there. It's a fire alarm, people. But is that what we do? No, no. The day the fire alarm goes off in Wendy's and I'm eating my French fries and drinking my Mountain Dew, what do I do? Whoop, 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 whoop. What do I do? I sit there, I look around. What am I looking for? I'm going to see what other people are going to do. I'm not going to be the first idiot, jump up and run out, leave my food on the table. I sit there, I look around, I see what everybody else is going to do. And what did we all do? We sat there like idiots. We just sat there. I mean, what are we waiting for? Our clothes to catch on fire? What are we waiting for? Smoke to come rolling out of the kitchen? We just sit there. I mean, you know, the place could be on fire, but I've got a hamburger. We just look. We look around. We get our cues from other people. There's something about our fallen human nature that causes us to look to other people. And these boys, most of them just look around. They look at one another and they see that the other boys are just going to eat what they're given to eat and they're going to answer to whatever name they are called and they're going to wear the new clothes and they're going to become new boys. They just conform. Because that pressure is intense. It's, it's very intense. Peer pressure is something that affects us at, at all of our age. And no matter what stage of life you're in, you still get your cues from other people. Other people have a kind of power over you. But that power is especially strong when we're younger. Now, now let's stop. Let's take the power apart. Why do they have power over us? Why do other people have the power? Because they can cause us to do things we don't want to do. They can cause us to wear what we don't want to wear. Other people, that pressure causes us to do all sorts of things. Some of those things we know that we don't even want to do. But, but that pressure is there. Why is the pressure there? Because we give it to them, Jack says. I think that's true. We, we give that to them. Yeah. How many of you are facing finals in the next week or two? Finals at Western? Yeah, you are going to do in the next couple of weeks what you do not want to do. Do you like to sit up all night long and, and read about Western civilization? Do you like that? Somebody wrote on their Facebook this week that they've got like five papers to do in the next two weeks. Do you just like writing papers? Do you enjoy writing papers and footnotes? Do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy sitting up and, and reading and reading and reading and doing math? Do you like all of that? No. Would you choose to do that on your own? Would you do a project? Would you do anything like that on your own? So why do you do it for your teachers? Why can your teachers ask you to do all of these things that you really don't want to do at all and you don't get any pleasure in? How do they get you to do these things? Very simply, they have what you want. What do they have that you want? Your grade. Yeah, you want a good grade. This whole thing works, of course, for school teachers too, Jessica. That, that's how it all works. Your teachers have what you want, and that is your grade, their future in your hands. And because they have what you want, they have a kind of power over you. And that's exactly how peer pressure works. The fact is, other kids have what you want, and that is to be accepted. You want their acceptance. We're all like that unless you're weird. We're all like that. Everybody wants to be accepted. 
Nobody likes to be left out. Nobody likes to be disliked. We all want to be accepted by others. And that desire to be accepted can give others a strange kind of power over us. Especially strong when you're young. Especially strong when you're young. Now, let's stop right there. Why do you think that is? Why is this pressure that other people have over us, why do you think that is somehow more negative, more powerful when you are growing and young? Give me some answers. Sometimes as you get older, Jack says, you do develop wisdom. It's not guaranteed. Have you seen some of the old people I know? It is not guaranteed that you get wise with years. Sometimes, sometimes we learn it and, and we develop a kind of wisdom to see that everybody that tells you something is not necessarily telling you the truth. We get some wisdom with years sometimes. Why else? Why do you think it's more delicate with young people? That desire to be accepted, that desire to please is more powerful when you're young and I'll agree with you there. I think you're right, Julia. What do you say, Charlie? Charlie? Yeah, it's Charlie said it's the formative years. You're growing up to become an adult. What does that mean in one word? Independence. You're learning independence as a youth in those growing years. You're becoming independent. And that's a wonderful thing. Isn't that the coolest thing? It is a kid's full-time job to try to figure out how to get away from mom and dad. It's a full-time job. Sometimes that's expressed in rebellion, and honestly, for a lot of kids, it's a full-time job to rebel. They're trying to figure out how to separate from the family, how to separate from mom and dad, and how to figure out who they are in the world apart from mom and dad. It's a kid's full-time job. Every one of us that have ever left home, you've been through this. You've done this. If you haven't, this explains a lot about you. It explains a lot. This is something you must do to grow up. You, you, you gain a sense of independence. Learning to separate yourself from your parents, from your family. That means when you're young, something clicks at some point, And all of a sudden, the peer group, the people out there become very, very important. And in many ways, in many ways that importance rivals the importance of the family. You begin to look to figure out who you are and you start answering that question by looking to other people, to looking at your peers because you've been looking at your parents now for 13 years. You're trying to figure out who you are apart from them. Again, nothing new about this. This is old as the garden, but, but the, I think some things we need to recognize about today's culture is that in, in today's life, you recognize that many, many kids are growing up without adults anyway. Now, when you and I were growing up, some of us, I, I rebelled, I pushed away, but at the same time, I was pushing away from a very healthy family. And even though I pushed Don and Diane away, there's something about them I couldn't really ever push them too far because they were always there. My parents were always there. They were always home. They were always in my life, always involved. I mean, I'm telling you, cutting those apron strings took some really heavy-duty shears. You understand what I'm saying? Because my parents were in my life. They were in my life thick. But you've got to recognize that that's not the way a lot of young people grow up these days. They don't have mom and dad at home. Lots of times mom and dad themselves are not mature. 
Many times you've got parents now raising kids, and those parents are not mature. They haven't grown up. They haven't got their mess together yet. And you've got these very immature, very very dysfunctional grown-ups, and you've got kids trying to somehow figure out who they are in that context. They don't have parents at home. They don't have parents involved. And therefore, they're absolutely abandoned to other kids, abandoned to the peer group. Lots of kids growing up these days, it's the peer group. It's all they've got. It's their stability. It's the peer group they go to for wisdom. They really don't have grown-ups they can count on. And that, my friends, is a tragedy. It says something about who we are as parents. It says something about the church and that we have not been able to nurture strong families, strong parents, strong kids because they need adults in their lives. Verse 8, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel was determined. Daniel was determined. Let's talk about strategies for for resisting peer pressure because we've all got to learn to do it. I think you've got to recognize that it starts with something down inside. In this case, it's called Daniel's determination. There was something about Daniel. He had a made-up mind about certain things. He was no longer open to suggestion. He knew who he was. He knew who his God was. He knew what his God required of him. And he was not going to listen to anybody. He was not going to change for anybody. Daniel was determined. That is strength. And I love that. And that kind of strength comes from the Lord. You've got to recognize that. It comes only from the Lord. That kind of strength. And that kind of strength is a gift. And that kind of strength is a virtue. And I want you to understand that under no circumstances should you give that up. Under no circumstances should you give up your strength. When you're in a situation with your peers, when you're in a situation with school or at work or wherever you go, when you feel yourself pressured or tempted to change in order to please people, when you find yourself in a situation to go against your morals, to go against Christ, to go against everything you've been taught in the Bible, in those moments, you can't give up your strength. You can't give that up. It's not worth it. In no situation should you make a choice based on your weakness as opposed to your strength. Daniel was strong. Daniel was determined. And you've got to recognize that his unwillingness to give up his strength is the very, very first ingredient to his success, his prosperity, his maturity, the way God can use him. He's determined. He's determined. I wish if we could give our kids anything, I wish if I could give most of you anything, you could have that kind of made-up mind. What is wrong with some of you? What is wrong with our kids? What is wrong with people who still seem to be making decisions that they should have settled a long time ago? I'm not just talking to young people. I'm talking about adults. I'm talking about some of you who are married people. And you are still tempted to cheat on your spouse. What is wrong with you? Have you been hit in the head? Isn't that something that you decided a long time ago to be faithful? Isn't that a promise you made a long time ago? Why is that not settled for you? Do you understand? It works the same way in our lives as it works in our kids' lives. you got to have a made-up mind. you got to decide, I am going to remain sexually pure until the day I'm married. And if I'm never married, then I'll remain sexually pure my whole life. Sex is not everything. Make your mind up. There's nothing as powerful for a Christian than a made-up mind. Make your mind up. I'm going to keep my body free of alcohol and drugs. I'm just going to do that. My mind is made up. If you make up your mind, you're not going to be so temptable. 
The pressure of your peer group is not going to have any power over the person who by the power of the Holy Spirit has a made-up mind. Make your mind up. Daniel was determined. And so it did not matter what they offered him. It did not matter how attractive it looked. And understand how attractive the king's table must have looked. But Daniel said, no, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I will eat cauliflower and I will drink tap water for the rest of my life, but I will not swallow what you're trying to feed me. That's determination. You want to stand up against the crowd? You want to stand up, stand up for Jesus? It starts with that kind of strength, that kind of determination. But he pays a price for it. You got to see that. He really does pay a price for it. Understand that the test here seems to be over the food because the food really was a, a large issue. For Daniel, he was raised not to eat that. For Daniel and his friends, their consciences were very tender when it came to sitting down and eating what was at the king's table. They simply weren't going to do that. So what does that mean? That means that from that day forward, they would eat only vegetables. Do you think kids like vegetables? Do you think Daniel to this point has just loved a salad bar? We talked about this one, what kids eat. Do they love vegetables? Did we ever mention broccoli this morning? Actually, we did in the children's sermon. One of the kids liked broccoli. Yeah, God bless him. Yeah, God bless him. I'm still more of a hot fries, barbecue Fritos man myself. But recognize the price they pay. Okay, just give us a chance. Feed us only vegetables and we'll drink only water. Feed us only vegetables and we'll drink only water. And see, just see if we don't come out better. Isn't that amazing? But don't miss the fact that he paid the price. There was a price to be paid. There were probably some meals where, where the, you know, the viney sausages come rolling out and, and, and the big pepperoni pizza and, and the hot fudge cake. And Daniel and his friends have to just sit back and say no over and over and over. There's a price to pay. Take a look at this verse, though, from the Gospel of Matthew You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Now, the narrow gate, what's that language? What are we talking about? Why is the gate narrow? Because not very many people go in. Do you understand? It's a narrow gate. A wide gate would accommodate a big crowd, but the crowd's not going this way. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. You've got to recognize there's a price to pay either way you go. There's a price to pay either way you go because what you get out of the price, what you're getting in return for your faithfulness is very, very important. Daniel and his friends, you and I are called to choose the gateway to, say the word, life. Life is what we're pursuing. The kingdom of God is what we're called to move toward. And in everything, we should be paying the price to stay on that narrow road because we know that at the end there is life for us. On the other hand, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide. And I'm telling you, for a long, long time, it'll seem like a free ride. It will seem like there is no price to pay for those who choose just to go with the crowd. And for a very, very short time, it may seem that way. They may seem to have more fun. They may seem to be more attractive. Everything may seem to go better for them. But understand, it doesn't change the fact that they are still on the highway to hell. There's a price to pay, and Daniel is fully willing, fully willing 
to pay the price. Look what happens next. Daniel goes to this steward, this man who waits on the table, and God has already arranged it so that this man has kind of a special place in his heart for Daniel and his friends. Now, he's a Babylonian. He, he doesn't love God. He doesn't respect them in that way. But there's something about these boys. He just kind of feels soft toward them. God arranged it that way because this is Daniel's way out. Daniel does not have to follow the crowd. He does not have to accept what's being fed him. And there's this marvelous way out for him because the steward is willing to sort of work with Daniel. And Daniel says, please, feed us only vegetables. Give us only water. The man says, I can't do that because if you're eating only water and, 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 and drinking only water, eating only vegetables, you're going to waste away. You're going to look horrible. And if you begin to look pale and thin and if you aren't doing well, it's going to come back on me. My job is to keep you healthy. Daniel says, okay, okay. Ten days. Ten days. Ten days let me fix my own plate. Ten days give me only water and vegetables. At the end of ten days, if I'm looking pale and skinny and thin, then, then I'll let you feed me, but give me ten days. Puts God to the test. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Understand, Daniel takes the righteous way out. There is always, always, always a way out. There's peer pressure, but it is never going to overwhelm God's pressure. Do you understand? There's nothing that the world can throw at you that God is not going to provide for you the way out. The verse to remember, underline it in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Say this with me. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. When you are tempted, it's a promise. When you are tempted, God will show you, say the words, a way out. There is always a way out. Always a way out. Take the righteous way out. You will never be able to say this. You had no excuse. You will never be able to say that everybody else made you do it. You can't say that. God always, always gives you a righteous way out. Daniel looked at the situation. He found his way out and found victory. Always a way out. I remember one day uh, I was going to the lake with, with a buddy of mine. And actually the buddy was a... Uh, was a Christian friend or always had been a Christian friend to me. This was the guy who introduced me to contemporary Christian music. And that was an amazing turning point in my life. I mean, this guy had been an encouragement to me. But at some point, he started turning the other way. Turning the other way and he started drinking. It really bothered me. Because I really liked this guy. And again, he was my Christian friend. But the worst part was he started pressuring me. Pressuring me. The same guy who at one time had been such an encouragement started pressuring me to drink with him. He would say things like, oh, come on, you're scared. That's what he would say, you're scared. And why would those two words have such power? But I hated that. I hated when he'd say, you're scared, because it just made me want to prove I'm not scared. But how stupid is that? You're scared. You're just scared. And man, I wasn't scared. I just didn't want to do what I knew was wrong. Went to the lake with him one day. Went to the lake. As it turns out, there was nothing in the cooler but beer. He did that on purpose. Did it on purpose. I was dehydrated. It was hot. And he would open up, like a beer commercial, he would pop open the cooler, take one out, pop it up, drink. And he would offer me one and say, you're scared. You're scared. Aren't you thirsty? Wouldn't this be good? It's cold. It's good. Man, he kept on and on and on. 
Now, I'm telling you, there's always a righteous way out, but I'm on a boat. There's really nowhere to go. There are no cell phones in that day. I couldn't call my parents to come get me. Finally, I said, I think I will take one of those beers. And he handed me a beer. He loved it. He loved it. He handed me a beer. He popped it open just like a beer commercial, handed it to me. I took that beer, poured it on his hand. I know that's lame, but it was the best moment of my life. It was the greatest moment of my life. I took that beer, I poured it bloop, 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 on his head. It felt wonderful. And he never offered me another beer. Never again. I know it's dumb, I know it's lame, but you know what? I didn't drink. I didn't. I made a choice that day, which honestly could have been a very important turning point for the whole direction of my life. I did not give in to him. There was a way out for me. It may not have been very glorious. It may not make the best story in the world, but I'm telling you, I'm proud of that moment. Proud of that moment. There was a way out. I, I took the way out. In any situation, in any temptation, you are always going to be shown a way out. Take the way out. You got a cell phone in your pocket now. Call somebody. Call your parents. Call me. You always have a way out. You will always, always have a righteous way out. Take the righteous way out. Just a few more things. The thing I love about this story is that Daniel didn't have to stand alone. Daniel had three friends. Now, that's amazing. If Daniel didn't have three friends, he still would have had to make the same choices. But what a blessing it is to have friends who are in there with you. Three friends who are going to choose right with him. And I want you to understand, young people in our church, this is, this is so much what we want you to have for one another and with one another. It's what a youth group is supposed to be. You're supposed to be there for each other. It's hard enough at school. It's hard enough at home for some of you. It's hard everywhere you go. There is such pressure and such temptation. And there is, is such a constant tearing people down out there. That's why youth groups should be a place where you come together as peers and build each other up. This is a place where you should come and know that I am not alone. I'm not standing alone. I'm not the only person who's staying sexually pure. I'm not the only person not drinking at the parties. I'm not the only person not smoking weed. I am not by myself. That is the gift that God gives you, and it's the gift you give to one another. Don't let one another down. Don't you do that to each other. Don't you dare treat people at church, treat each other at church like people treat you at school. Don't do that here. You need each other. You've got to have each other. Why would you not stand together? Why would you be a different person at school, even with your church friends? Why would you play this idiotic game at church? You need each other. Don't you dare let each other down. Don't you dare. Don't you dare be the source of temptation for your Christian brothers and sisters. Don't do that. You want to talk about resisting peer pressure? Start right here with a different kind of pressure, a different kind of peer group. That's what church is all about for all of us. The world beats us up every single day with temptation. Why would we not want church to be a place where we strengthen one another to do what is right? Daniel had his three friends. God bless them. It was those four amongst the hundreds of boys in this program, amidst the hundreds of boys going the other way. These four together stood strong. And God blessed them for it. Don't miss that part of the story. God blesses them for it. 
I don't know how immediately the results became obvious, but somewhere along the way, in, in about these three years that they're tested, somewhere along the way, something starts to happen. Those boys that had no strength, those boys that had no convictions, those boys that just conformed and became what the world told them to become, those boys who yielded to the pressure, they just became whatever they had ever aspired to be, and that was nothing. Their names are never mentioned. They just became what the world wanted them to become, and then they disappeared. But there are four boys who, in the whole course of the story, would not conform. They would not say yes when they should say no. They would not become what the world wanted them to become. And at the end of the story, they're the only four names we know. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. At the end of it all, they rise to the top. At the end of it all, they are blessed. At the end of it all, they have strength, they have integrity, and they have the mighty hand of God blessing them for the rest of their lives. You can't always see that in the moment of peer pressure, in the moment of temptation. It's not always obvious where these choices will take you, where these choices will take your friends. You have to trust God. You have to trust that the boundaries that God sets around your life are the boundaries inside which you are going to live. And you must determine that you're going to live in those boundaries. You won't always understand the wisdom of it, but it's called obedience. It's called the ordinary Christian life. It's called choosing that narrow way when everybody else goes the other way. You go this way, and it turns out that you are on the road to life. The rest of the world was on the highway to hell. Really asking you tonight to consider which path you're on. Uh, I'm telling you, if you're on the path that leads to a lot of popularity, if you're on the path that it seems like makes you most like all the other kids at school, if you're on that path that never ever leads you to have to stand and stand strong and stand alone sometimes, then I'm concerned that the path you're on may not be that narrow gate that leads to life. When you follow Christ you will sometimes feel like there aren't very many going with you, but you are determined to follow Christ, even if you walk alone. I worry about youth these days. I worry about the pressure because I remember what it was like. I remember what it's like not really to know who I, I was. I remember what it was like not really to understand the person I was becoming, not to understand the consequences, not to realize how very foolish so many of the people I hung with really were. I worry, but at the same time, I, I pray, and I teach, and I preach, and I want you all to understand that the choices you make are choices that are going to have consequences for the rest of your lives. Make those choices out of strength and determination and out of a commitment to your loyalty to Christ. Don't let your friends, don't let the world make your mind up for you. Any final thoughts tonight before we dismiss anything at all? Then uh, let's stand together. Let's have a final word of prayer. God bless you all. I love you so much. I know many of you are carrying heavy burdens, and many of you carry uh, concerns that you never voice in church, but, uh, but God knows, and God will take care of you this week. Let's pray together. God, in your presence tonight, we have found strength. Now go with us, Lord, into the places where we will go this week, where that strength will need to be spent. God, give us feet on which to stand when the world wants us to crumble. Lord, I pray for our young people, our young men, our young women, 
Make them shining examples of goodness and godliness. Lord, I pray that the gospel will be on their tongue, but more importantly, I pray that the power of Jesus will be evident in their lives every single day. God, I know that the world in which we all go is not friendly to our faith. Help us, Lord, to be true to the faith even as the world begins to perish around us. God, I pray that all of us will find our feet on the pathway to life. God, let us not be satisfied to let others simply move on the highway to hell. Lord, help us to reach out. Help us, Lord, to stand strong. Help us to tell them that there is another way. Let us tell them with our words and let us tell them with our lives. There is another way and that way is Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.